Ezekiel chapter 34. I'll begin with verse 1. Read a while, skip a bit, read some more. Ezekiel chapter 34. <clears throat> I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. This is the word. to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for, for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself uh, will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. They shall yield, yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them, they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I'm your God, declares the Lord God. Now, this is one of those passages where we can see both the unity of the revelation of God and the progression of the revelation of God. Now, that's a little bit of an abstract point to begin a sermon, I know, but I don't know where else to say it. But it's important for us to see this because, you see, when we talk about the unity of the Scripture and we notice at any one moment in time, any one reading, 
that we're reading that which is connected. It's connected with that that came before and that which is coming later. It's not 66 different books, it's just one. And so there's some unity here, but also we see in the midst of this a progression of the revelation, meaning that, again, as we read one chapter of Ezekiel, we realize that this is going to tie in with something later that will help us to understand it better. Keep that in mind, because it's it's a passage that uses this metaphor of shepherds. Now, Jesus, or God, isn't talking to us about real shepherds, real sheep, but he's talking about some ones in Israel who are like shepherds and some people, all people, people in general, who are like sheep. So it's a, it's a, it's a figurative kind of thing. In fact, in verse 31 it comes out pretty, you know, just to make sure we're getting this. And you are my sheep, parenthetically in this version, human sheep, just so we understand we're not talking about sheep sheep, but human sheep, human sheep. And so this metaphor, and if you remember, as we've been working our way through Ezekiel, uh, we've found that there's a particular structure in ancient Israel that helps us to understand it, and that is there are prophets given to them, priests given to them, kings given to them. And this isn't an arbitrary structure, but a structure, an organization that's very helpful. When God gives us an organizational structure, it isn't arbitrary. It isn't just imposed on us, like in our families, when God says that the husband is the head of the family, head of the household, head of his wife, and that the wife is to be submissive and the children are to obey. This isn't some sort of oppressive sort of organizational structure, but he's saying, this is how I've made you. If you do this, this is right. This is good. And so, as we see in ancient Israel with prophets and priests and kings, it isn't some arbitrary structure that's given to them, but he's saying, you need this. This is what's important. And so, as as the priests are given, God is saying, what you need is someone who will bring, represent the people to me, and who will bring unholy people into the presence of God through this priest. And he gives them prophets. And he says, what you need then is is a way to hear the truth. You need someone to bring this revelation of God to you. You need someone to bring this truth to you because your thoughts, your ways aren't God's. And so he needs to reveal it. And so he does through prophets. And he says, I'm going to also give kings to you because these kings are to represent my, God says, my righteous rule to you. They're to lead you in righteousness. They're to protect you to keep the, other, the gods of the other nations out of you and so that you can live righteously, so that protect and provide so that you can walk with God. Now, you remember during our Advent season when we developed all this, and if you're like me, Advent seems like 20 years ago and it was just a month ago, but uh, when we developed this, we saw, of course, that the prophets and the priests and the kings in Israel all failed. The priests failed, They failed to bring the people into the presence of God. Thus, the people were never convicted of their sin. They never saw their weakness and dependence upon God. Thus, they came under his judgment. They never got to know his holiness, his forgiveness, his strength. Uh, The prophets failed. They didn't bring the truth to the people. They didn't bring the true word of God to the people. They, they, They cast their own visions instead of listening to God and then coming to the people with them. And the kings failed. And that's the point here. Because in ancient Israel, the kings were known primarily to be the shepherds of Israel, the rulers of Israel, the ones that were to lead the people into righteous living, the ones who are to 
protect the people and provide for them and to care for them. But they didn't. Notice how it's put here in chapter 34 and verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? Well, yes. Uh, Shepherds are to be more concerned about the sheep's sheep being fed than about themselves being fed. That's what a shepherd is to do. He's to, to feed the sheep. And so if he's not doing that, in fact, these shepherds seem, these kings, seem to be using the people to feed themselves, using the people to, to make themselves richer. The people were being harmed. The kings were prospering. And so he says, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. You're not taking care of them. That's why you're the king, to take care of them. Not to be taken care of by them, but to take care of them. So they were selfish. Not only that, they were heartless. Notice verse 4. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That you're just heartless. You don't care about them. Here you have sheep that are hurting. Here you have sheep that are injured, and yet you don't do anything for them. You just ignore them. You take the ones who are healthy, and you put them to work for you. That's not what a shepherd is to do. That's not who a shepherd is to be. And so the end result, verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for the wild beast. The sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. And that was happening right then. The, the, the people were exiled, so they were away from the land and they had been scattered. It all had come true. It was right in their face. The shepherds, the shepherds had failed. But not only were these ones in ancient Israel who were shepherds, who were kings, but there were also, by implication, sheep. The people were known as sheep. Now, somehow to me, to be called a sheep isn't a compliment. Uh, in fact, there was a book written some time ago entitled A Nation of Sheep, which it wasn't a complimentary title. I mean, you people just, just follow But you see, the difficulty with us and the reason God uses this figure of speech of sheep to describe us is that we're easily, uh, we easily wander ourselves lost. We sort of see that next blade of green grass and it looks so good and we don't look beyond it. We just take it and we just sort of wander ourselves lost. Sheep are interesting. If there's a, if there's a, if there's a little hole in the fence and there's a little green grass on the other side, a little sheep, you know, will just go up to it and, and stick its little nose, its little mouth out that little hole and before you know it, it puts the first little leg out there to just get a little bit more and then the second leg follows and pretty soon the whole sheep's out there and not really noticing and pretty soon the sheep turns around and says, where's everybody else? That's sheep. That's us. And so, you see, we need someone to, to corral us. We need someone to lead us. We need someone to guide us. We need someone to protect us. Sheep have no real natural ability to protect themselves. They don't bite well. Uh, sheep are great at petting zoos because the moms go, oh, it doesn't really matter what you do. Stick your hand in their mouth. They can't really hurt you. Uh, wolves actually like that feature of sheep. The, uh, their, their feet, their hooves aren't very good. They can't run fast. Uh, if they have a lot of wool, if they get a li- least bit wet, they're slowed down. They could easily drown in a little bit of water if they got too wet, and too heavy, and couldn't get up. Sheep just need protecting. 
And so there's something to that. God says, listen, what you need as human beings are godly shepherds who can guide and lead and protect and nourish because you resemble sheep. Okay, that's the image. That's the point that we really need to hear and embrace about ourselves. I don't particularly care for that. I don't particularly want to embrace that, but that's really true about us according to God. So he gives shepherds to sheep. But of course he comes to say, now the shepherds of Israel failed, therefore the sheep are scattered, are in a horrible condition. And so God comes to us and he says, all right, since they've failed, I'm coming. Since they couldn't shepherd you, I'm going to come and shepherd you. Now remember, again, in every one of these offices, be it the priest or the prophet or the king, that's precisely what God says. The priest failed, so I'll be your priest. The prophets have failed, so I'll be your prophet. The shepherds have failed, I'll be your king, I'll be your shepherd. Notice what he says here in verse 11. He says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep, I'll seek them out. So he comes to seek. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep he's, uh, and have been scattered, so I, I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. So he seeks, he rescues. Then in verse 13, I'll bring them out from the peoples, I'll gather them. Verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture. Uh, verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the injured, strengthen the weak. And so you see, as the good shepherd, he comes to do all the things that a shepherd is to do. And of course, this is figurative, but he's doing it for people. He's doing it for his very own people. He sees them scattered, he brings them back. He sees them injured, he heals them. He sees them hurt, he comes to care for them. And that's what he does. Now we see the unity of the scripture in the sense that God has been referred to as a shepherd before. Um, all the way back in Genesis chapter 49, uh, Jacob refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. If you read through the Psalms, there's a variety of prayers that begin, Oh, shepherd of Israel, shepherd of your people. Um, we read together this morning the 23rd Psalm. Some of you quoted it, that was good, you should teach that. We need to very much teach it to our children. Uh, many of us, my vintage and older, learned the 23rd Psalm in public school. Doesn't happen anymore. Parents, we have to teach our children these things, like the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer and all these passages that we used to read in public school. That doesn't happen anymore. We must be careful to do that. I, it's interesting. I don't know why I'm telling you this. It's interesting to me, but at, a, at, at funerals, when the congregation is older, I can simply stand and say, let's, in unison, repeat the 23rd Psalm. And people can do it. If I'm in a, at a funeral where many are younger who are attending, they don't have a clue. So just a little, learn that. Because it gives to us this great sense of, what, of who God is and this shepherding. And because he's the shepherd, we don't want. Because he's the shepherd, our souls are restored. Because he's the shepherd, we're led in paths of righteousness. Because he's the shepherd, we're protected with his rod and his staff, even when we're in the midst of our enemies, and even when we face death. And we know that, that he, he provides for us, even in the midst of our enemies, even this table that's before us. And he anoints our head with oil. And we have great joy. And goodness and mercy come running after us all the time. And so it's important. So God is our shepherd. 
and, and we know that. And now he says to the kings of Israel, you were supposed to be like me. You were supposed to care for the people. You were supposed to be the ones out there doing all that I desire to be done for them and you didn't do that and so you failed. So now now I'm coming. And he gives this great promise then in beginning with verse 25 that Ezekiel calls the covenant of peace. And he says, a day is coming when the Lord will be so present among us that there'll be peace everywhere. That there'll be peace uh, among people. There'll be peace even among people and beasts. He says, you go out and sleep in the woods and it'll be fine. A little ten-year-old runs in, Mom, can I sleep in the woods tonight? Sure, why not? There's no danger, you see. We won't even walk the streets at night, let alone go in the woods at night. But God says the time is coming when this covenant of peace will arrive. So the question then is, how is this going to take place? How is God going to come and be our good shepherd? Turn quickly, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35. Can I take this? It'll be okay. You, you don't mind if I take this off. It's kind of warm for me up here. I know some of you are freezing, but I'm working. Um, in fact, there was a thing this week that I didn't learn about until late that some of the churches in the city are, is, are doing and they're turning up their heat today so we can identify with the homeless, which is a nice idea, although I had to tell everybody that you're so used to so little heat that you wouldn't even notice on Sunday morning anyway. But um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he, and the he there is Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, same condition. Now it's interesting, you see, between the time of Ezekiel and the time of Jesus, something very significant did happen in, in ancient Israel. They did come back to the land. In fact, it took a great move of God for all that to happen. Because at the time of Ezekiel, you remember, the Babylonians had control of Israel, and thus they had exiled the people out of Jerusalem. Well, a move came where the Persian Empire grew up and came against the Babylonians. And the way they treated their enemies was to send them back home. And they did that because they were very pluralistic in their understanding. And they said, if you have a God, go worship him. Just tell him we sent you. So he'll be nice to us too. And so they met all these Israelites and they said, go back. And so they did. So the city was rebuilt, the temple was rebuilt, the wall was rebuilt around it. But it didn't bring this great covenant of peace. It was good for a time, but it didn't bring what Ezekiel promised. And so now we come in the days of Jesus, and he's still seeing, in a sense, sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. He's going, this isn't good. Mark, quickly, chapter 6. And verse 34. Same notion. When he and the he there is Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then John chapter 10 and verse 11. This is Jesus. I am the good shepherd. Now, when people were listening to Jesus say that, all kinds of bells and whistles should have started going off in their heads. Okay, you're the shepherd. 
God said he was going to be the shepherd. God said he was going to come as the shepherd. I know what shepherds do. Shepherds come and protect and rescue and bring back and nurture and all of that. And so you now are the good shepherd. Okay, I see. You must be God. God said he was coming. He said he was going to be the good shepherd. You've made all these claims already. We've seen what you do. And now you say who you are. You're the good shepherd. And so Jesus goes on. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Oh, that's exactly what we want a shepherd to do. Because you see, the other shepherds would run when the wolves would come. And then your average sheep doesn't like that. But this shepherd says, I love you more than my own life. So I'll lay down my life. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf scratches them and scatters them, snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Yes, we don't want that kind of a shepherd. There's a difference, you see, between the kind of shepherd who's just being paid and the kind of shepherd who owns the sheep. There's the shepherd who really has no investment in the sheep and there's the shepherd who has every investment in the sheep. So much so that when the the, the sheep are hungry, he is hungry and he feeds them. When the sheep are in danger, he is in danger, so he protects them. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, Jesus. I know my own sheep. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may Take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He's the very one who knows his sheep. He introduced this, if we look in the early verses in chapter 10, verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follows them, for they know his voice. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one who is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And everybody around Jesus knew what he was saying because they picked up stones to kill him. Because when he said that he was the good shepherd, he was saying that he was God. Now, there are three major wolves. They're all related. Wolves probably are related. Three major wolves that Jesus protects us from because he destroys them. Turn to John chapter 1. This is developed through the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, this is John the Baptist announcing the presence of Jesus. The next day he, that's John the Baptist, the next day he saw John coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so you see Jesus comes after this first wolf sin, a rebellion against God, to destroy it so that we might be saved from it, protected from it. Then in chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to 
to life. And so we see Jesus coming to destroy the penalty and the power of sin, comes to thus save us from judgment and death. And how does he do that? He does that by giving his life, by being that good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. It's on the cross that all that takes place. It's on the cross where he protects us from defeats, sin, and judgment, and death by taking our penalty on himself. Now, there's a movie coming out at the end of February, I think, called The Passion of Christ. In our movie-going culture, we need to be careful because we love analyzing movies. We love to watch them and we love to analyze them. And that's really fun and it's enjoyable and it makes going to movies interesting. And even in these days, movies are coming out all the time with spiritual, at least we're told, dimensions. And so there's books being written, for instance, about the spiritual aspects of the matrix. I've seen them. I haven't read them because I have a life. But, um, but, sorry if you've read them and you're like, I'm sure it's interesting. But, but the interesting about them, I mean, this has been going on for a long time, but the interesting thing about such books and such discussions is that there are a number of interesting and maybe even valid points of view. Because nobody really knows. There's all these nice little dimensions about these things that various ones can spin in various directions that give some kind of transcendence, some kind of spiritual sort of meaning, perhaps. But when you watch, and your friends watch this movie, if you do The Passion of Christ, we must be careful to recognize there's only one right answer. There's only one right interpretation. There's only one thing going on that we need to pay attention to. Because it's going to be very easy, I think, for people to go to this movie and be very impressed with Jesus. This is a movie about the last 12 hours in the life of Christ, about the crucifixion of Christ. And it's, I think, going to be very easy for people to go to this movie and be very impressed with Jesus. There are people who read the Bible all the time and are very impressed with Jesus, but miss it. They think he's just a courageous man. And he is. They think that he's a very loving man dying at the hands of unloving people. And what a great example to stand for your principles in the midst of that kind of pressure, even to the point of a very difficult and trying and painful death. The, the just dying, even at the hands of the unjust, all for his own principles. That's really not the point. The point is that when he he takes the penalty and the judgment, the eternal death for sinners who will believe in him. And so we have to be careful, I think, cautious, that when we talk about this movie and when we take people to this movie and we go to this movie with people and the discussion begins to come, what is about this movie and Jesus, that we make certain that we understand what really is the meaning of that death of Jesus. Because people will leave just being impressed 
with the person of Jesus and perhaps miss it. I mean, let's face it, people are impressed with Frodo. But we don't want Jesus to be another mythical figure or Jesus even to be a quasi-historical figure or Jesus even to be an historical figure and people miss the point. The only reason we know that the guy on the middle cross was dying for the sins of sinners wasn't necessarily because that death looked worse than any other death on a cross, but frankly because we were told who he was and what he was doing, and then the Spirit of God convinced us of that, that we might believe. That's how we know that. And so we need to be careful and cautious, because you see, he is the good shepherd, but he is the good shepherd who comes to rescue us from sin to rescue us from judgment, to rescue us from that, what the Bible calls, second death, that eternal death, which is living forever under the wrath of God. Now, Jesus came and did all of that, and so if we're reading along in our Bibles, we should then expect this covenant of peace to happen to be right there. I mean, the shepherd has come. The promise was made that we're going to be able to sleep in the woods and hang out with the bears and get along and everything will be wonderful. But yet, it isn't. As I said, it isn't that we simply won't walk in the woods for fear of the wild animals, but we won't walk in the streets for fear of other people. And so, why not? What's that all about? And thus the question is, if he's the good shepherd and we trust that he's defeated these great wolves, why is it that we don't see this covenant of peace? And how is it then that Jesus continues to shepherd now? How is it that we can say he's the good shepherd? Well, again, for those of us who trust in him, who believe in him, we say he's the good shepherd because he saved us from sin, he saved us from judgment, he saved us from death. But what about now? That's in the ultimate sense. What about in the usual sense? In the ultimate sense, yes. In the usual day-by-day sense, how is he our good shepherd? And we know that he continues to shepherd us. And he does so by his providence. That is, he's ruling and reigning over all things for his glory and the good of his people. He's at work in us by his Spirit. For those of us who know him, we know that he is at work in us by his Spirit because he's called us by his Word and Spirit, changed our hearts and enabled us to grab a hold of him by faith. So we know that. We know that he's at work and he continues to be at work in all kinds of ways. We know that he shepherds us by his Word as he teaches us, as he leads us, as he helps us, as he gives us wisdom. And we know then that we trust him as shepherd as we live by faith. And that's a huge deal. And the Apostle Paul coined this little phrase, we live by faith and not by sight. He was saying something a little more, a little deeper than what would go on one of our little Christian cards. Because he was in the midst of, of great difficulty. 
He was reflecting upon a life that had experienced shipwreck and beatings and left for dead and starvation all in the name of Christ. And he understood that when we're here, we're out of the immediate presence of the Lord. When we die, we're in the immediate presence of the Lord. But while we're here, he understands this isn't glory. So he said, how do we live now? And that's the point of it. We live by faith, trusting that Jesus is our shepherd and Jesus is good. I have a sneaking suspicion if you would if you would have interviewed some sheep in ancient Israel on their pasture land, that as they were going from one good pasture land to another good pasture land, it may be that they had to go through some difficult paths. And I would imagine that those sheep would have been forming a committee saying, let's talk to the shepherd together and tell him that we voted unanimously not to go this way. But yet, they had to trust the good shepherd that he knew how to get them from point A to point Z. And that's true in the context of our own lives as well. That when we get on paths by his providence that are uncomfortable for us, that are difficult for us, we need to say, no, 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 no. He is the good shepherd. I'll trust him as I walk along because I believe that he's taking me from here to glory. We trust him. We live by faith. And obviously, in the midst of that, we're going to need to hear from him often. And so we go to his word and we say, teach us, tell us about your goodness so that we can grow in that understanding of your goodness. Because you see, when a sheep, when a sheep would look at the rod and staff of the shepherd, that rod and staff was only something good in the hand of that good shepherd. In the hand of a bad shepherd, it wasn't good at all. But they would trust, oh, my life is in the hand of the good shepherd. Thus I can trust him. So we need to go to the scripture. We need to be immersed in passages which tell us about the greatness and the goodness of God. And we need to pray because we need to cast our cares upon him. There's one more thing very quickly. Turn back to that passage in Matthew and chapter 9 and verse 35. Oh, verse 36. Back to Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. And then beginning in chapter 10, you know what Jesus does? He sends out his disciples. Now, I think, I don't know for sure, but knowing my own personality, I think that if I had been one of those disciples, I would have said, Jesus, you're the good shepherd. Why don't you go? I mean, isn't that what shepherds do? I mean, there's a bunch of people out there. They're scattered. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You're the good shepherd. Here's my plan. Go, Jesus. Go rescue them. Go get them. Go heal them. Go help them. And Jesus, is, Jesus sends them. Turn to Mark in chapter 6. Verse 34. 
when he went ashore, that's Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. And he thinks, of course, the shepherd must teach. The shepherd must lead. He must guide. Right. Verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy uh, buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. Again, I think if I were there, I would say, Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, you're the good shepherd. You're the one that's supposed to care for them. You're the one that's supposed to feed them. So, so why don't you, why don't you do that? And Jesus said, "No, you do that." And, and then they said, "But Jesus, we're unequipped to do that. We don't have enough to do that. That would cost a fortune to send five or more thousand people into the city to McDonald's. That would just be enormously expensive. We don't have that kind of money." He says, "What do you got? Well, we don't have anything, but this little kid has lunch." few pieces of bread, a couple of little lunch meat-sized fish. Jesus said, all right, bring it to me. Now look at what this is like in my hands. Now go. Because you see, he calls us then. Under him, by him, through him, and to him to go and to shepherd people. He says, I want you to go to the ones who are scattered out there because all authority has been given to me, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth. So go. Baptize them and teach them. Go get them. I have sheep out there, sheep of another fold. Go get them. And he says, do it in my name because I'll be with you. See, the great thing about Jesus is that while he was a shepherd who was willing to give his life for his sheep and did, see, that's only comforting for a while, to know your shepherd is willing to give up his life for you. Because then you have to ask, well, what if he does? What about the next day? Who's going to protect me if my shepherd's dead? Well, the good news about Jesus is that he isn't dead. He did give up his life for his sheep, but then he took it up again. And he says, now... I'm with you. Go. And when you go, I want you to be rescuing. And I want you to be getting my scattered sheep. And I want you to be bringing them into the fold. We said, but Jesus, we don't have anything. You know, what are we going to say? He says, I'll tell you. I'll give you my word. Go speak it to them. Go tell them about me. And that will draw my sheep. So tell them. And he says, I want you to go to them, and there will be hurting ones out there who are scattered. I want you to help them. I want you to care for them. I want you to feed them. I want you to, to bind up their wounds. I want you to n- nurture them and nourish them and help them. And we say, but, 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 but Jesus, we, we really don't have the wherewithal to do that, do we? We really don't. I'll be with you. Go in my name, and you will be amazed because since he's the good shepherd and since he has come and since the promise has been made that he will rescue those who are scattered and he will bind up those who are injured and he will feed those who are spiritually hungry he says listen it'll work trust me let's pray Father in heaven
It is amazing to us, first, that your word is so utterly consistent. That you begin talking about shepherds and tell us of their failure, but then tell us that you will come and you do. Father, even the great promise of the covenant of peace we see, that a day will come when there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And everything will be at peace because everything will reflect our Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, we come to you first as sheep. We thank you that you have defeated our enemies through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will strengthen our faith in him. And even so, that you will enable us to trust him day in and day out for the very course of our lives knowing that he is good, that he is shepherding us, and that we needn't fear. But, Father, even so, that you would lay upon us the understanding, and in a godly way the burden, to know that you have sheep out there still who need to hear this message. Various ones that you will draw to yourself through it, and so I pray that we would think beyond our own walls and go after the scattered sheep, And Father, that we would care for them and that we would help them. And Father, that others then would look upon us and simply say, those people must have a great God. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. I do uh, remind you that there will be elders available to pray. I remind you, uh, too, of the time tonight at 7 o'clock with Leanne, so please come. The response to the benediction is, the Lord is my shepherd, hallelujah. Now, when you're saying that, you're saying, I understand that he's the good shepherd because he's rescued me. He's come and got me. I was scattered, and he came and brought me to himself. And he is the one who cares for me, and I trust him day in and day out to be my caring protecting, nourishing, nurturing shepherd. And when you say hallelujah, you're saying, that's the best thing there is. Please hear this, receive this as God's benediction. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, The Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah.